Get ready for the first passage. It's going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. I mentioned in the Bible class period, I would save my introductory remarks until we got to this point. So I do want to take the time while you're turning to Matthew 16 to just offer mine and call us thanks for allowing us to be here today. What a wonderful blessing you have blessed us with and this invitation. You know, this is not somewhere out in the, the Yukon territory of Canada where there's a, lot of, there's a lot of Christians around, there are a lot of churches around, which means there are a lot of, of, of evangelists around that you could have asked. So I, I say that to, to say how thankful I am that you've given me this opportunity to meet more of my brethren, to, to be able to tell people whom I don't know. For the most part, I don't know anybody here, but I get to tell you that I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So thank you for that wonderful opportunity, and I'm looking forward to this week. I'm glad that, that Carly gets to be with me when the kids were at home. She didn't get to, to come to some of these things, and so I'm really thankful that, that you'll get to meet her. Um, in case you hadn't noticed, by the way, I talk a little fast, so just hang in there. Probably, and I am aware of it, I do know it, I am conscious of it, and then I get started, and it just doesn't matter. I just go. So here's what I can tell you, somewhere around 7.20 Wednesday night, we're just going to all come together. My, my, my mouth and your ears, it'll all blend together by about Wednesday night. But just, I am aware, and I, I, but sometimes I just get, I get excited and I, I just take off. Um, I hope these lessons that we talk about today would all, and throughout this week would be lessons that would apply to us. I've, I've tried to pick things out that, that certainly would apply to me, and hopefully by that extension maybe there's some application for you. I hope it's something that will help us. And before we begin, I want to say, I, I want to get it right. I don't want to say anything wrong. I don't want to, I don't want to teach a, uh, anything that's incorrect. I don't want to misapply. I'm going to work hard to hopefully not do that. But here's what I want to tell you. If I get it wrong, you can still get it right if you're paying attention. So you open up your Bibles. And you follow with me, and you, you make sure I read it right, and you make sure I apply it right, and you make sure I don't do any twisting or changing of anything, because it's, it's, it's important that we get it right. So what I want to tell you is you don't know me, so don't, do not trust me. Do not trust me or anybody else with your soul. So as we engage in these studies this week, let's, let's take it. Take it seriously. In Matthew chapter 16, you'll remember the context. This is where Jesus is, for lack of that better phrase, the commentaries use the word um, retirement period. There's, we're in the last year of Jesus' life, roughly a little bit before maybe six months or so. And what Jesus does, he kind of pulls away from the crowds. He pulls away from Galilee. He pulls away and tries to find quiet time where he can really just start preparing his disciples, the disciples that he will apostle, the disciples he's going to send to the world, and he wants to get them prepared for that. And it didn't work very well. He, go, he, he does leave Canaan, but people still found him, and crowds still got around him. And so he went even farther. We pick up here, and he's, if you can picture a, a first century map of Palestine, he's almost off the map. He's in Caesarea Philippi on the top of a mountain. And this is when he asked the question, who do people around here talk about? What are they saying about me? He's kind of, uh, you know, maybe testing the temperature a little bit. What's people around here saying about me? Some think you're Jeremiah. Some think you're, some think you're this, 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 this. High water names. Who do you say that I am? Oh, you're not Jeremiah. 
and Elijah. You're not John the Baptist. You're the Son of God. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Upon this confession. Wonderful event that we're familiar with. We pick it up in verse 21. From that time on. Jesus began to show his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. He starts getting a little bit more specific. You are the Son of God. Well, let me tell you what's going to happen to the Son of God. And when you look in verse 21, one of the things that jumps out to me, I'm, whether you are a fan of horos, uh, horoscopes or, or not, we all know what horoscopes are, and we probably have all read our month. Those are the most generic things on the face of the earth. You read those things, and, and they can apply to almost anybody at any time in their life. They're written so generically. The Son of Man will go to Jerusalem and suffer things from the elders, priests, and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. There's nothing at all generic about that. You talk about boxing yourself in a corner. He told them where. He told them who. He told them when. He told them what. He told them how long. Very specific. And as specific as it is, they didn't get a bit of it. <laughs> Went right over their head. Oh, no, no, no. No, we would never let that happen to you. You're the Son of God, but we're going to tell you what you're going to do. So Jesus rebuked them for that. But I use that one example there. It says, from that time on. They didn't get it when he talked about it here, as specific as it was. But he keeps on telling them. And in those next months, he keeps telling them, he keeps telling them. And so they have heard this several times. By the time we get to Matthew 26... By the time we get to Matthew 26, we're in what we think of as that upper room setting. This is the night before the betrayal. This is the night of the garden. This is the night before the, the trial. It's all about to happen. He has told them, and seemingly from Matthew 21, or various times. But now we had something different. Upper room setting... Passover has been observed. And now in verse 20, he says, When the evening was come, he sat down with the twelve, and as they ate, he said, Verily I say unto you, one of you will betray me. Now that seems to have been new information. He had talked about what was going to happen, when, how long. He had, talk, he had laid all those specific things out. But now he drops this bomb in their lap. One of you is going to have a hand in it. All this I've been telling you about, all this I've been preparing you for, one of you is a part of it. And now there's just major trauma. In verse 22, here's how sincere men treated that. They were exceedingly sorrowful and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? One of you is going to be a part of this betrayal. And they, they take that in. And they took however many deep breaths was necessary. And then they, it just starts spilling out of them. Could I be the one you're talking about? 
could I possibly do what you have just described? Their first thought was the possibility that it could be them. Real fear concerning, could it be me? And let me suggest that that's wisdom, not weakness. The fact they thought it could be them, as opposed to immediately thinking it would be somebody else, that's humility, not pride. They took it personal. This anxiety has set up within them, and they turn it toward themselves, not others. And they don't, they don't suspect others. They don't ask about others. I mean, let's be honest. If me and you go back to that setting, you know what we're doing. Hey, Judas, Judas, hey, 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 hey. Listen up, brother. Hey, wake up. We look right at him. And we start, hey, that money, you're going to throw it down. And you're going to walk away from it. It's not, this isn't worth it. Rethink what you are planning. That's what we would do, right? It's the old, you hear this song, oh, I hope so-and-so is listening. <laughs> Maybe I need to listen. That's the difference between maybe them and us. All of them. Their question was, could this be me? Which tells us something about Judas. He blended in pretty good, didn't he? You know what we know about Judas? They didn't know. The Holy Spirit, you know, the, the first of the Gospels was written, you know, 30 years after the fact or so. It was well known who the traitor was when it was written. But it's interesting to me that around that table that night, when it's just Jesus and the twelve, and He says, one of you are going to betray me, they didn't eleven of them look at one guy. He blended in so well. He covered up His covetousness. He covered... They didn't suspect Him. What they thought was, maybe I could do this. And so what I want to ask us today, I want to, I want to give some applications where me and you have got to ask the same question. Maybe I could be this. Maybe I could do this. Maybe I'm the problem. None of us can be so sure that we wouldn't betray the Lord. That's humility. There may be some future explosion just boiling up within us, and we are just, we're just not aware of it, not paying attention. They asked Jesus that night what me and you have got to ask ourselves. Here's how we're going to do it. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Here's what me and you have to ask ourselves. Here's what me and you have to do, as unpleasant as it might be. Well, let me back up. As unpleasant as it's going to be, because <laughs> it's not going to be fun. Self-tests are not fun. Self-exams are difficult. They are unpleasant. But that's exactly what we have to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Verse 5. Examine yourselves. Whether you be in the faith. Test your own self. He didn't say test Judas. He didn't say test the one three rows behind you to the left. Test yourself. Examine yourself yourself. And as humbling as that is, that's what we want to try to do today. 
Knowing ourself is a hard work, but it has to occur before we're going to reach spiritual maturity. And therefore, as hard as it might be, it's a noble work. And so let's try to do that tonight. None of us were present the night that Judas betrayed, but he was not the last person to sell his soul. Turn to Hebrews chapter 6. All the, just some introductory thoughts before we get started. It is possible that we could betray. It is possible that as much as we at one time appreciated the Lamb, as much as one time we were thankful for the sacrifice, it's possible that we turn our back on that. Hebrews chapter 6. Start with me in verse 4. It is impossible for those who were enlightened, who have, the old versions say tasted, the idea is experienced, understand. Experience the heavenly gifts, partakers, fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Tasted, experienced the good word of God and the powers of the world to come, that if they should fall away, to renew them again to repentance. It does not say they cannot be forgiven. It says they cannot be renewed. That's a whole different thing. Did you catch those descriptions? They have tasted of the Spirit. They have been in fellowship with deity. They understand the Word. What are you going to say they don't know? What are you going to say they don't, they don't understand? That's the idea. You can't renew them. They know as much as you do. They might know more. You can't renew them. They've got to renew themselves. They left on their own, and there has to be a recognition they have to return on their own. You can't renew them. Why not? Because one who has experienced and tasted what they have, here's how the Holy Spirit describes it. Seeing that they've crucified to themselves the Son of God afresh, put Him to an open shame. Can you imagine that? We just remembered the crucifixion. And to the Hebrew Christians, these are Christians he's writing to. People who probably would have never thought they would turn away. Never thought they would go back into this particular case about the Judaism that they came out of. But they have. And he said, you're, the, you're killing them all over again. You're denying them all over again. You're rejecting him all over again. Turn to chapter 10. He's writing to Christians. In chapter 10, he's talking about the law of Moses, how there, was, there were consequences to certain sin, and there were serious consequences. He uses examples where they were taken outside the city and stoned for their sin under the law of Moses. Well, he's already laid the groundwork in Hebrews that there's, Christ is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than Joshua. Uh, heaven is better than Canaan. There's a better promised land. There's a better rest. Um, the, the, Jesus as high priest is better than Aaron. And, you know what else he laid the groundwork for? There's a better covenant. There's a better law than the law of Moses. And so he says, now the law of Moses had consequences. Verse 29. Of how much sore punishment, if the law of Moses had consequences and we're under a better law, a better covenant, what about the consequences of that is the point. Of how much sore punishment do you suppose? One would be, Thought worthy, who has trodden underfoot 
the Son of God. Let's just stop right there. Trodden underfoot, the Son of God. You know what that is? That's when we are out in the summer and where there's a bug going on and, and you step on it. But we don't just step on it, right? We're Southerners. What do we do? Don't tell me you don't. You step on it and then you just make it sing. You just bring it home. You step. and That's the idea. But it's not a bug. And it's not an ant. Trodden underfoot the Son of God. Counted the blood of the covenant. We talked about there's been a lot of bloodshed because there is no remission of sins without it. And we culminated that bloodshed with the law, with, with Christ Himself, God's Lamb. Counted the blood of the covenant in which you were sanctified as an unholy thing, as a common thing. Has done so to, as, as insult to the Spirit of grace. Surely I wouldn't do that. That couldn't be us, right? Christians have done that. He's writing to Christians who had done it. And me and you are arrogant to think that we couldn't have that potential within us. We know ourselves well enough. We know our weaknesses that nobody else knows. We know the struggles that no one else knows. It is possible. So this is the, the, we have to make this question, could it be me, personal? They ask, is it I? And they made that personal. That's what we've got to do. Look at 2 Peter chapter 3. Surely we wouldn't fall, would we? Let me just, in all humility, let me say, better people than us have fallen. What do you mean we can't fall? People stronger than me have. People stronger than you have. People who saw more than us. We believe by faith. Peter... <laughs> there were things he believed by sight. We believe he healed a blind man by spitting and rubbing mud on his eyes and sent him to the pool of Siloam. Peter was there. We believe, Peter, we, we believe Jesus walked on the water. Peter did walk on the water. Do we need to go on? 2 Peter chapter 3. Last paragraph that we have from his hand. Not long before his death. He may have written other things, but it's not revealed to us. It wasn't saved by the Holy Spirit. Here's the last paragraph that the Holy Spirit says, I want you to know. You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things, the things that He has reminded them of, seeing you have been reminded of them, beware lest you also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. The man knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's writing about. You know, some things we, 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 we write about things we have heard. Or th this is experience. Because it was that very night when he's asking his, I, I wouldn't do that, would I? I wouldn't, do, I wouldn't betray you, would I? It's just a matter of hours. He's going to say, I don't even know who you're talking about. You got the wrong guy. Hey, mistaken identity it happens to us all, but it's not me. He's, Be careful because we can fall. That's the idea that Peter's given us. We won't turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, but a very similar statement is when Paul says, take heed lest you fall. So before we go into applications, let's make it personal. Let's take it serious. Examine yourselves. Test yourselves. And let's see where we are. Because from Peter and Paul's admonitions, we understand that it's possible. Let's not be so sure that it couldn't be us. Present tense. 
Is it I? Present tense, I'll, I'll point it out. Is it you? Could it be us? Let's just, now let's shotgun blast it. Now let's just see what sticks. The church isn't growing like it should. We kind of hit a stagnant, you know, we're, we're, we're moving along for a while, and then we kind of pull back. And, you know, boy, I remember the days. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. The church isn't growing as it should. I, and I don't know if that would be here or not. I don't know if that would be a potential worry or not. But I know it is. I know it could be in the past. I know it is in various places. And so the question is, could it be us? Am I a part of that? If it's, a, if it's a problem that we could be more active, if it's a problem that we could be more busy, if it's a problem that we just kind of, we're just sailing, if it's a problem that we aren't growing, am I the reason? Is first of all, let's get our, our role in this thing. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. You, my, you, son, you my son, Paul talking to Timothy. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. In the things that you have heard of me, among many witnesses, the same commit them to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You probably have, have, have gone through and traced the, the genealogy of that. Do you realize there's four, section, four series of teaching going on there? Paul says, it started with me. I taught it to you, you taught it to others, and then they're going to say, now where in the world are we in that long? In one sentence, Paul, Timothy, the ones he taught, and the ones they teach. And now, 2,000 years later, we have four generations of teachers in one sentence. How, where are we along that? So here's the question. If we're ever in this situation where we're thinking, I just don't, I, I just don't know what we're doing. The question is not, I don't know what we're doing. The question is, what am I doing? Could it be me? Am I a part of the problem? And here's where it starts to sting. Let me which is shotgun in right here. I would imagine the church here has maybe a bulletin. I know the church here has a website. I know the church here on that website has lessons. That are, are, that, that are posted and downloaded. And when's the last time you mailed a bulletin to somebody? When's the last time you linked somebody to a sermon? When's the last time a tract was handed out? Well, I would imagine probably this week, just being the week that it is, there may have been some flyers that was made available. How many people have you invited, etc.? It gets real personal real quick when we start testing ourselves, I just don't know if the church is growing like it ought to. I wonder if there are people here, big room, big room. I wonder if there are people here who would flip out if the elders got up next Sunday, we've made a decision, we're gonna, we're gonna drop Bible classes. There'll be no more Bible classes here. Would you have a problem with that maybe? Would you have a problem with that? And then not even take those classes seriously? You would flip out if they were removed, but you don't really even make much effort to be at them. It gets real personal real quick. Big church here, and if I understand right, three shepherds. It's a lot of sheep. 
I just don't know if the church is growing like it ought to be. What are you doing? What am I doing, men, to qualify yourself, to take on that incredible work, take on a work where, where, where the blessings follow you off into eternity? Ladies, what are you doing to help your husband qualify for such an important work? It gets real personal real quick, doesn't it? Jesus says, yeah, in, in earthly kingdoms, uh, greatness is determined by rank and by position and kings. Not in my kingdom. The servants are great. There are deacons here. But this is a big church. There's a lot of service to be rendered. What are you doing, guys, to qualify yourself in order to take on that role of an acknowledged Appointed servant. Wives, what are you doing? I just don't know if the church is going like it ought to. You know, you know what would prevent that? You know what would, would be an antidote to that? Teaching and more of it. What are you doing? To prepare yourself to teach things that are eternal. Things that matter beyond the grave. Real personal, real quick. That's what self-tests are. That's what self-tests do. These are the type questions that can hurt feelings. But we have to ask the question, what am I doing? The church isn't as friendly as it should be. You ever been to an unfriendly church? I hope that you haven't. And it's possibly that you haven't. I, I'll, I'll relay one story. I have been to one. Me and our family were out of town. We were out on vacation. It was a big vacation site. We went to a place. And looking back now, it just makes me wonder, as I walked in the door, if maybe one of the kids was holding up a sign that said unclean. Maybe they thought we had leprosy. I don't know. But they, they didn't care if we were there or not. We walk in. We just not greeted. We came in. We took a seat back in the back. People coming in, rubbing shoulders, walking right by us both ways. Nobody said a word, till finally, the guy right smack in front of me, kind of turned around, looked over his shoulder, and I gave him the devil's look. I gave him the evil eye. Locked eyes with him and didn't let go. Until finally he stuck his hand out and introduced himself. And that was it. That's it. That, never experienced anything like it before or since. I'm glad to say never again. But I'm, it, it, you wouldn't be that way. That couldn't be us, would it? That... That wouldn't be me, would it? Would we turn and ignore a visitor here? Would we not go up to a visitor and say, I'm glad you're here. It doesn't take a lot of practice. doesn't take a lot of skill. Thank you for making the time to be here. I hope you come back again. And they'll know, that they'll know something from that. Do we just stick with our section? Do we stick with our family? Do we stick with our little clan? And that's it. Do we race for the doors as soon as amen is said? See how quick we can get out of this joint. And let me just pause and say this. If you, I don't know who's who. This, nothing, this is personal for me because I don't know you. But if you come in late, and you leave early, let me just tell you, you can't play that card. 
You can't then go, oh, yeah, I, just I just don't feel like I fit in. That's just not a very friendly bond. No, you can't do that at all. You show up late and you leave early and you wonder why you don't feel connected. Could it be me? Yeah, yeah, it surely could. And it could be you. Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Here's the role. Here's the responsibility one to another. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, comfort one another together. Exhort one another and edify one another. Build each other up. Try to make each other stronger. Look at that last phrase. Even as you also do. So the point is, this, he's saying continue to do that. The role we have one with another, we're familiar with the, you know, these God-ordained works of the church. And the work we have one toward another is we build each other up. We try to make each other stronger. We encourage each other in an evil, sinful world. He says, comfort one another, exhort one another, edify one another as you do. And the idea behind that is it's a continual thing. We do it today. We do it tomorrow. We do it while we're still here. Am I doing that? Do you do that? Could it be me that someone would say, the Oak Mountain Church, that's not a, not a very loving bunch, not a very friendly bunch. Could I be the one? Could you be the one that could do something about that? Church isn't as knowledgeable as it was. Usually older ones will say this, and there may be some here, some phrases you might remember, and you may have even used yourself. You know, this is about when, uh, it used to be, book, chapter, and verse. Boy, we knew it. We could give it. We... Have you ever heard the phrase, I've heard it a time or two, back in my day, Christians were walking Bibles. Have you ever heard that phrase? Is it true that we could say maybe that's not valid now? That churches aren't full of Christians who can give Bible answers? That churches aren't full of Christians who can at, in a moment maybe draw back on Scripture and be able to, to teach from it? If, it? if it is true that the church isn't as knowledgeable as maybe it used to be, what's the answer to that? Could I be a problem? Could I be a part of that issue? Could it be me? Look in 2 Timothy chapter 2. If it be a true statement that the church isn't as knowledgeable as it used to be, th there's only one way to fix that. And that's by individual Christians learning more. Individual Christians, one by one, becoming more knowledgeable. That's the only way to handle that. It's the only answer to that. We can only control our own knowledge. The church isn't as knowledgeable as it used to be. We, we, we can't control anybody else's in here other than our own. And the Bible speaks to that. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 15, older versions will say, Study to show yourself approved. The idea of it's diligence. You'll be in not just studying, but diligence in that work. Give diligence to present yourself, to show yourself approved unto God. Oh, yeah, oh, oh, hang on, buddy. We pay a preacher for that. 
You do. You pay a preacher to diligently study so that you can be approved before God. Is that what you're saying? Give diligence to show yourself. That's all you're in control of. Give diligence to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needs not be ashamed. Handling correctly. Handling properly. The word of truth. Nobody can do that for you. Preachers can't. Elders can't. Bible class teachers can't. They can't do something that would approve you. They can't do something that would remove your shame. They can't do anything about how you handle the Word. It's individual. It's on me and it's on you. Look in 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Church isn't as knowledgeable as it used to be. Could that be me? Could that be you? Could this be a valid statement? A valid charge? How do we fix it? 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you of the hope that is within you in meekness and in fear. Oh, you pay a preacher to do that, right? You have Bible class teachers to do that for you, right? You have elders to do that for you, right? Tomorrow, you're challenged. Tomorrow, you're questioned. Tomorrow, you are sincerely asked something. And what he's saying is, tell them. Explain to them. We can only control our own knowledge, so what am I doing about it? What am I doing about my knowledge? What am, I, what am I doing about my understanding? What am I doing uh, in my daily study, daily meditation, whatever you want to call it? What am I doing in my class preparation? Remember, we would flip out if the classes were removed, right? And yet we walk in the door and we unprepared a second. We don't even know what the class is about. We're not prepared to engage. We're not prepared for the deeper aspects of the, of the text. And oh, oh but we got to have them. But what are we doing with them? Could that be me? Could that be you? Are we taking advantage of opportunities when the questions arise? Personal questions. Because knowledge is personal. Personal questions. Because the answers we're supposed to give of our hope in verse 15, those answers. We have to personally be able to, to meet that, that condition, or meet that responsibility. The church is usually losing its young people. Does that concern you? Is that valid? And by the way, just as a preface, tonight we're going to talk about families. Hope you'll be back for that. Hope you'll take the time to be here for that. Tonight we're going to look at all the aspects, all the various roles of families and try to make some applications concerning them. Because this family is personal, right? The church is losing its young. Thankfully, not all. Even one is too many. I don't want to lose any of the young I know. I know you don't want to lose any of the young here. 
And have you ever thought of the, maybe the truth to this statement, and that is, um, how many churches would have elders hanging off the ceilings if it weren't for the qualifications of faithful children? It's real. So is it I? Am I the problem? Well, let's just throw out scenarios. We all have our things. We've all got our hobbies. We all have the things that just chip away and valid things that we are all busy with, that we are filling time with. Not sinful in and of themselves. My thing was sports. That's what, I, 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 that's what got me through school. I was not raised. Thankfully, I met Carla. And I was, not, I was out of high school before I became a Christian. Sports got me through. It's all I went to school for. I just wanted to play. Um, I, I became a teacher and a coach so I could stay involved in that. One of my coaching mates is here today. Hired me as I was still in college at the time. I got to, got to work for him. I didn't know anything about anything, but he let me hang around. And we raised our kids to do that. Called the I didn't. She, she, I didn't marry a preacher. I married a coach, who changed the donor. But our kids—that was our thing with our kids. They, we, we got them involved in that stuff too. And so I'm just saying, we've all got our things. Whatever yours is. So we get them to those things. We get them involved in sports. We get them involved in band. We get them involved in music. We get them involved in whatever. But we get them involved. Don't pretend we don't. So we've got all these things going on, and we make sure they're at practice, and they're there early. They're at every game, and they're there early. And whatever th the sacrifice is, that's what we do. And then we, but we can't get them to Bible class. We can't get them to home studies. There's a home study tonight, by the way. I mentioned we were talking about families tonight. Well, here's, well, here's another uh, preface. If I understand right, there's a teen study tonight. You're going to get your children there? You're going to try, if you can, to get your grandchildren there? The church isn't as knowledgeable as it used to be. Well, there are opportunities to fix that. The church is losing its youth. Don't let it be yours. Take it serious before it's, before it's too late. We get them a Bible with their name on it. We get them a nice leather cover. Outside looks great. But never, never really emphasize what's on the on the. Uh, on the inside of it? We don't gauge them. Do you know your ABCs? We ask that to kindergartners. Do you know your multiplication tables? We ask that to third graders. Do you know the judges? Do you know the apostles? Do you know? Do you know? Do you know? Do we, do we check them? We get busy with life. By the way, that's what that whole study will be about tonight. We're going to talk about careers. We're going to talk about jobs, what it can do, questions to ask before you're knee-deep in it. That'll be the study tonight. I hope you'll take advantage of that. We get busy with life, and maybe mom, dad, maybe one and or both, not around as much as they should be, and then wonder why conversations don't happen. I just don't feel close to them. It's too far to get them to this gospel meeting or to this study. Or, but it's not too far to go to Montgomery for our favorite meal. It's not too far to drive to Huntsville for a really good shopping 
stored. We do a lot of things, and we do it for a lot of reasons. Our spiritual a part of that. What decisions do we make? What priorities do we set? Because the young aren't lost overnight. It's a gradual thing. And we've got to keep our eyes open. Turn to Haggai chapter 1. Take you back to one of the minor prophets. And this has nothing to do with what we are looking at today, but there's a phrase that, 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 that's interesting and that can be applied literally across the board. If you remember the prophet Haggai, he came along after that return period from Babylon, well after that return period. They'd been back, you know, pushing 20 years at this point. And they still, don't have, they still have the temple built. They had the foundation set very, very early. And then a decade and a half passed, and they hadn't done a thing. And he shows up, he says, you know, do you wonder why you do this, that you're not very fruitful, you do this, it doesn't lead to very much. Do you wonder why? It's because the, t the house isn't built. You put everything under the sun in front of it. You've taken care of this at home. You've taken care of the field. You've taken care of the barns. You've taken care of the fences. You've, take, you've taken care of everything. Except where the dwelling place of God symbolically would be for them. Where the sacrifices were to take place. And there's a phrase that he used over and over. Look in verse some. Just look in verse 4. Is it time? For those, for those who say, we, we, hey, we're going to do it. Oh, don't worry, Lord. We're going to build the temple. We will get there as soon as we have time. We've all, we've all got things we plan on doing when the time comes right. So it just challenges them. Is it time to dwell in your sealed houses while this house lies waste? Oh, you've had time to do this, but you haven't had time for that. Verse 5. Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Paraphrase that. Examine yourselves. Drop down to verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Take a new look at where you are. Take a new look at your choices. Take a new look at priorities. Take a look at what we make time for versus the things that aren't very important to us. He says, consider that again. Rethink that again. That question, consider your ways, that statement, that applies to everything, just every, every command and every example and every question we can think of. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Consider our ways. Are we doing that? Go and teach. Consider our ways. Oh, do we take that serious? Um, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Do we take that serious? The church isn't as friendly. The church isn't as knowledgeable. Consider our ways. Maybe we are part of it. Apathy is a serious thing. Turn it back to Matthew 26. Matthew 26. We're going to end where we started. Matthew 26. Lord, is it I? Is it I? Is it I? That's what they all ask. In verse 22, remember, one of you will betray me. Verse 22. They with exceeding sorrow began every one of them. You know who's involved in that every one of them? The one who did it. The one who had already planned it. He's a part of that every one. We know that because here it is in verse 25.
Matthew 26, verse 25. Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? Well, the interesting thing is, Judas knows it's him. He knows what he's done. He knows what he's about to leave the room and go finish and seal the deal on. And yet here he is asking that same question with no intention to change. So all along we've asked, is it I? Could it be me? Asking the question isn't enough. Asking the question isn't the end. We ask the question, we examine ourselves, we consider our ways, and then we be bold enough, we be humble enough, we be zealous enough, we be sincere enough that we do something about it. Get your songbooks out. For those of you that use songbooks, um, I didn't, don't mean to put Bob on the spot, but I'll, as we extend the invitation, I want you to know, I'm, I'm going to step over to the side, because I know that I am a stranger to you, and it can be really, really uncomfortable to walk up to some stranger and then pour your guts out. It'll be somebody you love. It'll be somebody you're comfortable with. It'll be somebody that loves you. But you do what you need to do. Don't let me, being in the front, keep you from making whatever correction because it could be me and it could be you. So if it is, let's fix it. And since I don't know who is who, let me just ask you a couple of questions as you consider your ways. As we ask, is it me? You believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Flesh and blood doesn't reveal that to you any more than it did on Caesarea Philippi when, when Peter answered yes. Do you believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? You, the only way you could believe that is by faith. So let your faith act. Confess Him before others. Confess that belief. Repent of the sins that caused Him to have to die. Remember, He died instead. He died as a token, as a representation. He died for our wages. <coughs> be baptized and wash those sins away. Arise and be baptized. What are you waiting on, Saul of Tarsus? As you consider your ways and you realize you're not right with God. You're not. He, he doesn't hear your prayers. You have no hope of heaven. Consider those ways and then do something about it. What are you waiting on? Arise and be baptized and wash your sins away. Call in on the name of the Lord. Do that today. We want to help you. We want to encourage you. And if it may be that you have done that, but as you've considered your ways, say, hey, I could be better. Because you know what? I'm going to be better. That's called repentance. And it's a tenet of Christianity. You can do that at the seat. But do it. Because eternity is a long time. And hell's a awful place. We want to help you today. Do it while we stand and sing.